In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, glory be to Jesus Christ. We are continuing our study of the life of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I know I look forward to these Wednesday evening gatherings to meet in God's house, to be refreshed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our worship and in the presence of each other, and in learning about the life of the most holy Theotokos. So we, last week, we were looking at the conception, the feast of the conception of the Theotokos and everything that led up to that, the life of Joachim and Anna, and then the, the event that provoked their um, sorrow when the Joachim was rejected by the priest when he brought his offering and how they both sought God earnestly for his help and how God spoke to them through the angel Gabriel and announced to both of them that they would indeed be able to conceive and God would grant them one child whose name would be Mary. And so we left off last week with both of them coming from where they had been to meet each other at the Golden Gate. And both of them had received a special message from Gabriel and they met each other at the gate and they embraced each other as married people do, hugged and kissed each other and were rejoicing together. And uh, so now we come to the uh, conclusion of this story of the conception. So on the following day, after they they got reunited together, on the following day, Joachim brought his offerings into the temple. And having worshipped the Lord, they returned home, and Anna received, conceived by Joachim's seed, and they awaited the divine promise in certainty and in gladness. Now, What they did was they went home and they did what married people do. They had conjugal relations, sexual relations. Now, in the church, there is sometimes a hint, especially in the Catholic church, in some Protestant churches, that there is something sinful about sexual relations. And it's very clear from the teaching of the church that this is not the case. The relationship between a husband and wife in marriage is holy and completely acceptable and pure to God. And this is illustrated by something that happened at the First Ecumenical Council. The First Ecumenical Council was primarily about the heresy of Arius. And we know a lot about how that was dealt with and how God spoke through many great saints and help them to beat and defeat that heresy. But there were other issues that were discussed. And one thing that was circulating around among these 380-so godly bishops was an idea that bishops and priests and deacons, even subdeacons, should not, maybe, maybe they should not be involved in marriage and sexual relations with their wives. Maybe they should put their wives aside or maybe they should not be allowed to be married. This was discussed seriously in this council. 
Well, it wasn't until a certain saint came up and spoke very clearly that the council had clear vision on this and decided what to do. And this was St. Paphnutius. Now, the first ecumenical council was a remarkable gathering because it included so many confessors. The church, this was the first council after the church had been set free from persecution. And so you had all these holy men who had been tortured, persecuted for the faith, eyes gouged out, limbs cut off, tongues cut out, hands and fingers, toes cut off. Some of them brought in on, on uh, um, beds because they couldn't walk. So you had, this was an impressive gathering. And one of these was Paphnutius. He was a confessor of the faith. He had, one eye had been plucked out. He had one knee that had been mangled. And it is said that uh, the emperor Constantine, who, got, who called this council, whenever he saw St. Paphnutius, he would kiss him on his head where that eye was missing out of reverence for this saint. He loved this saint. Now, Paphnutius was very holy. He was a virgin. He had kept chaste his whole life. And so he was in a position of authority to speak about this issue. And so, after much discussion, he got up and he told the bishops, we should not do this. He said marriage is an honorable state and that husbands and wives who are stay faithful in marriage share chastity. They are chaste. And this is something I've said many times. And I even said this before I had even read anything from the fathers. When a man and woman marry each other, and they come to marriage in virginity, they keep their virginity because they give it in trust to their partner for life. And so they remain chaste. Chastity does not necessarily mean that you have no sexual relations. It means that you are either uh, celibate outside of marriage or you are faithful within marriage. And so St. Paphnutius, when he, once he spoke, the, the issue was settled. There was no more discussion, and the church dropped that stupid idea. And he, the reason he, he had a couple reasons. He said one reason is he thought that it would be too hard to bear for people, and that it could lead to problems. Well, it certainly has in the Catholic Church certainly has. And so the church was wisely guided by the Holy Spirit in this regard. So Joachim and Anna, they were a chaste couple. They lived in chastity. And they came together in sexual relations and by God's grace they were able to conceive at an age way past 
the time when people normally should have been able to. But it was a human, natural, God-given conception. And so let us never think uh, any evil thoughts or bad thoughts about sexual relations in marriage. That there's any, any, any hint of evil about it or sin. Or that it's something that is just allowed. No, it is holy and good and right before God. And this is how Joachim and Anna came together. And this is how the most holy Theotokos, the God-bearer, was conceived. When it was heard that Anna had conceived, there was great joy among all their neighbors and acquaintances. So the whole land of Israel congratulated them. St. George, Bishop of Nicomedia, another one of our great hymnographers, wrote this. He who supports all things with his word in his mercy has hearkened unto the prayer of righteous Joachim and Anna. He has loosed them from the anguish of barrenness and given them her that is the cause of our joy. St. Epiphanius of Cyprus in the 4th century writes that Mary, quote, was a woman by nature, not to be distinguished at all from others. She was conceived by marital union and the seed of man. Fathers are very clear on this. And Mary, and quote, Mary is not God and did not receive a body from heaven, but from the joining of man and woman. And according to the promise, like Isaac, she was prepared to take part in the divine economy. Thus, the pre-eternal word has now made a throne for himself on earth. So the church chants at this feast, quote, Today, God, who rests upon the spiritual thrones, has made ready for himself a holy throne upon earth. In other words, at the conception of Mary, God is preparing a throne for himself. He who made firm the heavens in his wisdom has prepared a living heaven in his love for man. For from a barren root, in other words, the womb of Anna, from a barren root he has made a life-giving branch spring up for us, even his mother. Beautiful. God of wonders and hope of the hopeless, glory be to thee, O Lord. And I want to conclude with a brief homily in reference to a homily by St. John Maximovich, our patron saint, in reference to the heterodox teaching of the Immaculate Conception and their belief, their teaching on original sin. Because it's very important that we, we not be lumped in with the Roman Catholics in our approach to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because they indeed have fallen into heresy in their teaching about her. And it, we need to make, be clear about that. St. Ambrose, who was Bishop of Milan from 339 to 397, comments that, that of all those born of women... There is not a single one who is perfectly holy apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Scriptures are very clear about that. The Orthodox Church teaches that the Virgin Mary was conceived by Joachim's seed and the period of gestation was, yes, nine months. 
None of the ancient Holy Fathers say that God in miraculous fashion purified the Virgin Mary while yet in Anna's womb. That is not an orthodox teaching. Only Jesus Christ is completely pure of every sin, while all men being born of Adam have born of flesh subject to the law of sin. She received at conception a human nature just like ours. Many have correctly indicated that the Virgin Mary, just as all men, endured a battle with sinfulness, but was victorious over temptations and was saved by her divine Son. Now, this is a great mystery. We don't know exactly what that means. But she definitely had a human nature like ours that had the propensity for sin, and she struggled against sin just like we did, just like we do. Blessed John Maximovich, who passed away in 1966, affirms that the church teaches that through the fall of Adam and Eve, all of the human race inherited, the de- inherited death, becoming enslaved to the devil through the passions. The progeny of Adam and Eve are not guilty. This is an important point. They are not guilty of their first parents' tasting of the fruit. There is no original guilt We are not being punished for the first sin or original sin. If, for the sake of argument, we maintain the invalid heterodox teaching that the the Theotokos was preserved from this original sin, that would make God unmerciful and unjust. If God preserved her, why would he not have preserved all of us? Why did he not purify all men? But then that would have meant saving men before their birth, apart from their will. This teaching would then deny all of her virtues. They were trying to exalt the Theotokos, but instead they diminished her by their heresy. After all, if Mary, even in the womb of Anna, when she could not even desire anything either good or evil, was preserved by God's grace from every impurity, and then by that grace was preserved from sin even after her birth, then in what does her virtue consist? She would have been placed in the state of being unable to sin. The virgin, as a true daughter of Adam and Eve, also inherited death. She was not in a state of never being able to die. Thus, St. John of Damascus writes on the occasion of her dormition, O pure virgin, sprung from mortal loins, thine end was conformable to nature. Blessed Archbishop John continues to comment that the virgin was not placed in the state of being unable to sin, but continued to take care for her salvation and overcame all temptations. The righteousness and sanctity of the Virgin Mary was manifested in the fact that she, being human with passions like us, so loved God and gave herself over to him that by her purity she was exalted above all other creatures. Mary was to become the mother of God, the Theotokos, not because she was to give birth to divinity, but that through her the word became true man 
God and man. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glory to Jesus Christ.